So for the last few minutes before we go, we'll talk about, as the Father sent me, that was the first part, so send I you. And let me tell you how I'm going to close in 15 or 20 minutes. Um, I'm going to have two groups of people stand up so that I can pray for you and so that you can see each other. We'll do this with our eyes wide open. And uh, the first group will be the smaller group. And, and it will it'll be plain after I say what I say why there should be no um, resentments in anybody's mind as to who stands up and who doesn't as though they were first class and second class children of God. The first class would be people that I would really like to pray to help. It has two, two ways of describing it. One, you know God has called you to cross-cultural, vocational, that is long-term, missions. Let's just flat out, you know that's where you're heading. The other group who need the prayer more would be, and this is harder to define, but you, you decide, you believe, and that's the right word, not absolute certainty at this point, but you believe God has been stirring, might be for years, it might be for two hours, that God has been stirring in you to lead you very seriously to Consider that. And I don't want everybody to stand. Every Christian should be willing to do anything God tells them to do. So I do mean God's been at work in your life in some discernible way. And what you would like is for me to pray that God would confirm that if that's the case. So that's the first group of people that's going to stand. Vocational, vocational pursuit. The second group would be this challenge of the two years... And the short term. So that sometime in the next two years, you... Now, how do, what verbs do you use here? You have to be careful, since you, you're not God and you don't know what's going to happen. You fully intend God helping you to do that, to be engaged in a um, cross-cultural... I think you said overseas. I'm not sure what the category was. Uh, short-term mission. And then the rest of us will stand up and we'll... We'll close with a song in that way. So that's where I'm heading. I, I would like to pray for those two groups. And may the Lord use these next few minutes just to bring clarity to your sense of, of leading or calling. So send I you. The second half of John 20, 21. The way I'm going to do this for the next few minutes is to just simply deal with two ways that were not sent like Jesus and the corresponding two ways that we are sent like Jesus. First way that we're not sent like Jesus. We're not sent to Jews only. And Jesus was. In a very specific sense. Matthew fifteen twenty four. Jesus says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, he said that when a Syrophoenician woman, a foreign woman, a non-Jewish woman, came and asked him to heal her daughter. And he said, I'm not sent to anybody but Jews. Very harsh kind of response, it feels like. And she said, even the dogs eat the crumbs from under 
under the master's table. And he said, for that, I'll heal your daughter. (laughs) In other words, that's great faith. I love that kind of humility. I don't care where it comes from. But when he sent out his disciples in Matthew 15, get the text right here. No, Matthew 10, 5 and 6, he said, go only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So, for this period of time, this incarnate period of time, Jesus did not travel to India or America or China or Russia. He served the covenant people. There was very, there are huge reasons for that that can be unpacked from Romans 11, but we won't go there. We, however, now I'm shifting over to the positive. How are we sent? We, however, are sent to all the nations. So the same book, Matthew 15 and 10, said, I'm only sent to the lost sheep of Israel to the house of Israel, meaning in my short life, this is my focus as I bring salvation to the world. And since that's my ultimate goal, I am now having been rejected mainly by my people and having offered myself for the world. Now, he says, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all Nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And look, I'll be with you to the end of the age. And that promise is magnificent. Nobody can count on that promise more than someone who does the hard work of crossing a culture in missions. Now, what I want to focus on in verse 19 is the word nations. Because one of the hugest discoveries in my life back in the early 80s was that that does not refer to geopolitical entities like United States, Britain, Germany, Russia, Japan, Rwanda. It does not refer to that. It refers to Hutu, Tutsi, Cherokee. There are about 24,000 of those kinds of peoples in the world. Ethno-linguistic realities. They have cultures. They have languages. They have traditions that are self-contained. When Jesus said, go make disciples of Panta ta ethne, the ethne, that's where we get our word ethnic. Go make disciples of all the ethnic groups. He didn't mean you have accomplished China when you've gone to the geopolitical entity called China. There are thousands of people groups in China. Even more in India. Every country, country. 200 and whatever, 20-some countries in the world. Every country has multiple peoples in it. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord and bless his name. Tell of his salvation among the peoples. Declare his glory among the nations. 
And that word nations is not a political entity. It's an ethno-linguistic reality. Now, I would wish that all of you would go to joshuaproject.org, one of the many sites. Oh, how without excuse we are to be ignorant today about missions. With the Internet, nobody has any excuse to be ignorant about the state of the world unless you just choose to be. Choose to do other things with the Internet instead of find out about what God has done and is doing in the world. The Joshua Project is the most sophisticated site to identify peoples and to what degree they are reached with the gospel. And there are different definitions of reached. I think the most helpful one is a people is unreached if they don't have a church strong enough to do evangelism of their own ethno-linguistic group. So I distinguish between evangelism and missions. You don't. I know the language goes all over the place, but you figure out your own language. Because if you if you smush everything into one thing, you will forget about the peoples. I guarantee you, your church will be Ignorant and forgetting about the peoples of the world if they consider everybody a missionary. If they consider everybody doing the same thing, call it evangelism, call it missions. Choose your language. My language is this. Evangelism is when you're not crossing a culture. You can speak the same language. It's relatively easy to get some connections. And missions is when you cross a culture. Usually you have to learn a language, customs, and you... You plant the church there, and it's unreached if it doesn't have the mass of Christians that can do the evangelism in that group. 1974, Ralph Winter stood up in Lausanne, the Lausanne One Missionary Conference, and he just blew everybody out of the water and poked holes in all the balloons that were flying to celebrate the fact that we Christians have now penetrated all the countries of the world. And he stood up and said, excuse me, these are his numbers in those days, there are 24,000 ethno-linguistic people groups in the world, distinct pantata ethnic, distinct ethnic groups, And there are, in those countries where we say we have gone, 17,000 with no church at all. Now, those numbers are drastically reduced today since 1974. God has done a phenomenal work because, at least in my country, I don't know how it is here in the mission uh, world, but almost nobody talks about mission fields anymore in America. Fields doesn't work. 50,000 Somalis live in my town. All of them are Muslim. Cross-cultural missions is 500 feet from my church building. And therefore, frontier missions, reaching an unreached people group, is not a geographic issue. It's a cultural issue. It's a language issue. It's a heart issue. So when he says, so send I you, he means I died. Now, let's go from Matthew twenty-eight nineteen to what has become for me the most important missionary verse in the Bible, namely Revelation 5, 9. You were slain 
And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Now, mark those things. Tribe, tongue, people, nation. That's what I'm trying to get at when I say ethne, when I say peoples or ethno-linguistic groups. Every tribe, every people, every tongue, every nation. I died so that people from all of those would be in my kingdom. This is a blood issue. Christ died to bring them to himself. So I'm sending you now. I didn't go to them physically. I died for them. Now you go. Now here's the, the last one. Second one and last one. We are not sent like Jesus as an atoning sacrifice. He was sent to atone. He was sent to bear the sins of. He was sent to propitiate the wrath of God for the peoples. We're not. So what's the counterpart positively? And the counterpart positively is two things. We go to proclaim that. And we extend those sufferings in our own suffering. Let me give you a verse for each of those and we'll wrap it up. The first verse would be Luke 24. You can look at it with me. This is Luke's great commission. Luke 24, verses 46 to 47. I'll start at verse 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. This is after his resurrection. He's about to ascend to his father. His mission on earth is done and he's giving them theirs, us, ours. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. So all the nations, and every time you hear the word nations in the Bible, don't think England, don't think America, don't think Japan, don't think Indonesia. Think people groups, think tribes, think tongues, peoples, thousands and thousands of them. And you can find out to what degree they're reached and unreached by going to Joshua Project. So the first way we go not to atone, not to die for, not to propitiate the wrath of God is to proclaim that, to announce that. Oh, that we would never lose the sense. We who, who have lived in Christian lands for so long that this is news. Gospel means good news. News is hear ye, hear ye, hear ye. The king of the universe has done something for you. Gather around. Let me tell you what he's done. He has sent his son into the world to die for your sins and to remove his wrath. If you would lay down the arms of your rebellion, he has an amnesty for you. And if you will sign on and say, I surrender my life to him, all your sins are forgiven and you will have eternal life Forever. That's news. And we don't proclaim it enough. We analyze it. We argue about it. We try to defend it. We do everything often but announce. 
announce. I, I sometimes worry about modern missionary movements. I really, I look out there and the same thing I see happening in America at home, I see happening there. Namely, the dilution of proclamation into activities of relationships. There's all kinds of stuff in the stuff. And nobody ever talks about the news. Go from door to door or somehow find a way to get the news into people's lives. There's news about a Savior and you need one. So that's the first way that we relate to the once for all atonement. Here's the last way. The last thing I have to say about this. This is the hardest thing to hear. And I want you to be scared off from it if you're, if you're that kind of person who won't embrace this. You are called in missions not only to proclaim the sufferings of Christ on behalf of the world, but to embody the sufferings of Christ on behalf of the world. Go with me to Colossians chapter 1. This will be the last verse. Well, there is one more verse we'll look at after this and then we'll, we'll stop. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24 of Colossians 1. Now I rejoice in my sufferings. Don't miss the note of joy. Paul was a a very unusual person, a Christian. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. Now, what does that mean? It sounds heretical, right? I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now, Paul would defend more than anybody that nothing is lacking in the atoning worth of the afflictions of Jesus Christ. He can't add to it. You can't add to it. So what is lacking in Christ's afflictions? That Paul is filling up in his sufferings. Now, I could, I could paraphrase my answer for you, but would you go with me? to the book just before Colossians, Philippians, and I want to show you the language that Paul just used in another context so that you can paraphrase the meaning for yourself and then, and then I'll say it and see if we got the same thing. So we're in Philippians chapter 2, verse 29 and 30. The situation is Epaphroditus... As a representative of the church in Philippi has risked his life and almost died to take ministry. We don't know what it was, food, money, clothing, books from Philippi to to Paul in prison in Rome. Verse 29, he's sending Epaphroditus back with this letter. So receive him in the Lord with all joy. And honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life. Now, here comes the language of Colossians 1.24. To complete 
what was lacking in your service to me. And Colossians 1.24 said, I am completing or filling up, it's the same word, what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body. Now, I find the parallel helpful to shed light on Colossians 1.24. What does it mean that Epaphroditus completed what was lacking in the Philippian service to Paul? Just think now. So if you finish this message in the next three minutes, what would you say now? What does Colossians 1.24 mean on the basis of Philippians 1.29? Same language, same construction. Okay, so here's, here's mine. I think it means Epaphroditus, the church in Philippi, wanted to minister to Paul. They loved Paul. They wanted to touch Paul. They wanted to, to show Paul their love in some way. And they, they couldn't reach him. They were in Philippi and he was in Rome. And so they chose a, an emissary. And they sent him with themselves, their heart, their gifts. And he completed what was lacking, namely their presence. Their, their, their real felt presence was in Epaphroditus as he came and, and he completed, he, he, he finished their love by personally being there. Now, Paul says, in my sufferings, I fill up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his church, his church that's coming into being among the nations. What was lacking? What today is lacking in Christ's afflictions for unreached peoples? Answer. His suffering isn't there. They don't know about it. They can't see it. His suffering, as far as they're concerned, it's non-existent. And they have to know how will they believe if they don't hear and how will they hear without a preacher and how will they preach if they're not sent. So you can see what I'm saying. Missionaries don't just take a message. They embody Christ. They are the body of Christ extended and they will suffer. I mean, I thought about this rain today. We laugh about it. We joke about it. We groan about it. This is life. This mud is missionary life. It may be dry as dust. It may be mud. It may be mosquitoes. It may be food that you can't stomach. It may be people that make you so angry you can hardly stand it. The missionary life is an absolutely hard life. Jesus died to make this happen. And he says, now, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they hated me, they will hate you. If I had to die to bring this to pass, my afflictions, I want to be represented out there. And therefore, it's a given missionaries will suffer. It's not the cost. It's the strategy. God doesn't just ask you to pay the cost 
of suffering. He says, part of my strategy to display how much I love the world is to put my suffering in my people and have the people look at my people. Oh, how many stories we could tell. How many stories we could tell about missionaries who, because of their suffering, opened the hearts of those to whom they ministered. Now, I'm done except for one one thing. How do you discern God's call? I'm only going to talk for two minutes about that. Would you go with me to Romans uh, 15? I'm going to show you one thing that might help. Romans 15. Verses 20 and 21. Paul saw himself as a missionary to the unreached. He did not want to do missions in a place where the the church already existed. It's not wrong to do that. Timothy did it. I talk about Paul-type missionaries and Timothy-type missionaries. Timothy was born in Lystra, and Paul recruited him to go to Ephesus. So he ministered outside of his own cultural milieu in Ephesus as a pastor, and that is a Timothy-type mission, you might say. Paul would not be that. Let's read what he says. Verse 20, thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ is already named. Lest I build on someone else's foundation. I believe that until Jesus comes, that is, until the Great Commission is finished and all the people groups have a thriving church in them, some of you will feel that. It'll burn in you. Of course it won't. It's not in me. I would not be a pastor in Bethlehem if I felt that in me. I keep praying year after year. I say, Lord, I'm willing to end on the field or among an unreached people group. I'm willing to let the last chapter of my life be anywhere you say. And I try to discern whether the chapter is over at Bethlehem. But not all of you will will feel this, but some of you will, will say with the apostle, It is my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ is not already named. That's the first group I'm going to have stand in a minute. Now, how do you know? How how does it happen? How does that ambition get born and become so strong you can't resist it anymore? And I think the next verse is very significant. Paul said, but, and you would expect him to say, I'm not going to work among places where the Christ is already named, but I'm going to go to Spain, which he says. But instead, he quotes scripture. He says, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see and those who have never heard will understand. Test this. Test this to see if you think I'm right. I think that signifies that 
part of Paul's calling, his sense calling, was not just the Damascus Road where Paul, where, God, where Jesus says, I'm sending you to uh, your people and to the Gentiles. It, when he read Isaiah, Isaiah 52, that's where this comes from, Isaiah 52. When he read Isaiah 52, verse 15, it burned in him. I think that's the way it happens. It may happen late tonight. You'll be reading the scripture. Or maybe it's happened in this room when somebody was praying or when I'm talking that, that your heart strangely burned with that text. That you, you come away saying, that's me. I can't, I can't resist it anymore. So, let me say again who I want to stand up. We'll pray, we'll sing, and we'll go. The first group of people... Are include two. One, those of you who know you're headed vocationally, cross-culturally into missions. I'm not going to define it any more narrowly than that. Just cross-culturally. I'm not talking about unreached peoples necessarily. Just cross-culturally, vocationally into missions. That's one group. And the second group is more amorphous. You sense that God has been moving in some significant way, that that is, that's a real possibility for you, and you want to know, you want God to help you know whether that urging is a call. Okay, would those two groups stand up right now where you are, so we could see who is in those groups. That's a very significant, I did not expect that many to stand up. That's remarkable to me. My, my. Let me pray for you. Stay standing and and you you won't sit down until you walk out of here. We'll all be up in just a minute. Father in heaven, some of those standing right now know for a certainty because you've been so at work what they're up to and where they're heading. But my guess is that a very large number of these people right here stood because they think This is what their life is probably going to be. And they're not sure. And they need some kind of very unusual spiritual confirmation. And that's what I ask for. Grant them by your word and through your spirit and the confirming work of God's people and providence that they in the next days and weeks would know how you're leading them. I ask this in Jesus' name and for his great glory among the nations. Amen. Now, the second group would be uh, that in the next two years, you fully intend to uh, do some kind of overseas mission of of whatever kind, like the kind you've been asked to come help with here on the earth. So those, those group of people stand up. Let me pray. Father in heaven, for those who are are ready to move just for a couple of years, they don't have any sense that this could be a lifelong thing right now. They just want to minister in a needy place. I pray that you confirm that for them and then you give them real guidance. You provide every resource that they need and that in that experience, you would give them the direction they need for the rest of their life. Now, the rest of you go ahead and stand up and let me pray for all of us.
And I don't know uh, how Alex might want you to communicate with him. We were going to have cards here and it didn't show up. So uh, he may say something uh, tomorrow morning or somehow how you might communicate just for prayer and, and facilitating your moving. But let me let me pray. And then uh, while I'm praying, maybe the band could come and we'll, we'll close in song. Father in heaven, I, I pray earnestly that this whole assembly here would be mightily moved toward the nations as senders or goers. We can't all go. That's not your intention. There would be no support. So you clearly intend for there to be people fully engaged in evangelism and in all kinds of secular employment and ministry here at home as ascending base. Oh, may every person in this room be a world Christian. And for the rest of their lives, may they be agitators, agitators in their local church and on their campuses that people would have a global vision. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.